Hello, and welcome to the Neshama Project podcast, where we explore spiritual tools for living a happier life with a little bit less suffering. I'm Rabbi Ben Newman. Today, I'd like to explore some teachings and readings regarding the coming new year. Rosh Hashanah begins this Sunday night, the 25th of September, and uh, it is the first of the month of Tishrei, uh, which is traditionally uh, the new year, the Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year. So we're going to start with a few teachings uh, from a wonderful little book I have called Rosh Hashanah Readings, Inspiration, Information, Contemplation by Rabbi Dov Peretz Elkins with section introductions from Arthur Green's These Are the Words, uh, and then uh, move on to a story from Rabbi Nachman Bratzlov. The Shana Tova. When we wish each other a Shana Tova, a good year, we think of the Hebrew word Shana, or year, and extend greetings for a good year. But the Hebrew root shin nun he has another meaning as well, from the verb leshanot, to change. Further, the same root shin nun he also denotes repetition, as in the name of the fifth book of the Torah, Mishnah, Mishneh Torah, repetition of the Torah. In other words, shana tova, a good year, is a year of leshanot, of change, of doing things differently and better. And it also denotes a year of repetition, of relearning all the old lessons that our tradition of truth and wisdom has been teaching us for many centuries. Shana is a unique word. And may the new Shana be a unique year, one in which there is both repetition of the old and change for the better. Rabbi Dov Peretz Elkins. This reminds me of the phrase from our liturgy and from the Tanakh. Hashivenu Adonai Nashuva Chadeshi Aminu Kikedem, that you should renew our days. We should return to you uh, and you will return to us and we should renew our days like Kedem, like before, like the early times. Um, so we should renew our days and we should look back. So looking back and looking forward, we're able to be in the present moment fully and completely. Here's another reading. It's called A New Year. With the new year, we have a chance for newness within our hearts, a newness that can change the course of our lives. But change is often frightening, and sometimes we're not sure that we are indeed ready for it. What will this new heart be like, we wonder? How will this purified heart change the person, the persons we are? Will the very structure of our lives change as our spirits are renewed? So much uncertainty comes with change. As we stand at the threshold of a new year, we pray for the valor to face uncertainty, the courage to truly change what needs to be changed, and the faith to welcome the new spirit that is within us. Rabbi Leila Gal Berner. And here's a third one. This is called the Fresh Start. It's the beginning of a new year. 
we have examined our deeds, made amends, and been renewed, but recovery and spiritual renewal do not come quickly or easily. Repentance, tshuva, is hard work. That's really why when we finally, after the long, hot summer, get to Rosh Hashanah, we call it a new year, because through honest repentance we are given the opportunity to begin life anew and get a fresh start on the year and our lives. While Tishrei is actually the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar, it leads the year nevertheless. The symbol for the month is a scale, reflecting the balance that the month gives our lives, and so with it we begin counting, continuing to keep our lives in balance one day at a time, from the awful days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, through the harvest of self-searching at Sukkot and the rejoicing of our relationship with God on Simchat Torah. During the entire month, we are absorbed by the fall holidays, powerful moods to begin a year, reflections of a life of the Spirit. The Gaon of Vilna taught us, each day should be a new experience. Each day we have the opportunity of a fresh start. A person who has made tshuva is like a newborn child. Rabbi Kerry M. Olitsky. Now I'd like to read a section, a little piece of a story from Rabbi Nachman of Bratslav as translated and interpreted by Martin Buber in his The Tales of Rabbi Nachman. The story is about a simple man and a clever man. So one man is called a simple one, and the other is called a clever one. And by these nicknames, they were also registered in the book in which all the inhabitants of the place were described by name and position. Now it happened once that the king of the country turned over the leaves of this book and thus learned that in one city of his country there were two men of whom one was simply called the clever one and the other simply the simple one. Then there awoke in him the desire to make the acquaintance of the two, and he communicated to his attendants the wish that these two men be invited to visit him. But he soon asked himself, will not both of them be afraid when they suddenly receive a message from their king? The wise man, out of respect, will not know what he ought to answer, and the simpleton, in the end, will merely play the fool. It would, therefore, be well if I choose two of my courtiers, a clever one for the message to the clever man, and a simple one that he might know how to deal with the simple man, and sent them to the governor of that province of my kingdom. I shall have my intention made known to him, so that he may show the messengers the proper way to approach these two. Then the messengers would not even tell them that the king commands them to come, but that they would please him if they did so. A clever man was easily found at this court. But it was difficult to procure a simple one, for where in all the world would such a man be tolerated in the vicinity of a king? Indeed, in the whole of the king's city there was, only, was hardly one to be found. The search had already grown troublesome to the ruler and his counselors when it struck them that one simple man actually lived among them, namely, the king's treasurer. For of all the offices of the court, his was the only one that could certainly not be entrusted to a clever man, since he could easily have administered it more to his own use and profit than to that of the kingdom. So the king's treasurer and one of his wise counselors were dispatched as messengers. 
They came to the governor and informed him of the king's will and inquired concerning the two people. The governor marveled and said to them, He whom you call the clever one is, in truth, a most remarkably wise and experienced man, and he who is called by the name of the simple one is the most miserable fool that ever existed. The treasurer drove to the neighborhood of the simple man, sought his house, entered it, and handed him the royal letter. But the simple man returned the letter to him and said, Know then that I am not versed in reading. You must report to me what is written here, if you will, so that I may learn it. The sense of the writing, the treasurer answered him, is that the king invites you to come to him, for he has heard of you and makes, and desires to make your acquaintance. That seemed most remarkable to the simple man, and he was afraid that someone might be pulling his leg. Therefore he said naively, Just don't jest. Really, no jest, the messenger assured him. Then the joy of the simple man was overpowering. He danced around the room and cried out, Wife, think what good fortune the king calls me to him. He climbed into the carriage quite joyously. When the costly clothes were handed to him, however, he resisted them and would not allow them to be put on him, for he wanted to appear before the king in his beloved, wondrously beautiful coat. But while the two were on the trip to the court, the king was besieged by all kinds of complaints about the personality and activities of the governor who had misused his office and had seriously harmed the country through all kinds of intrigues and artifices. The prince was furious at the evildoer and still more at his own counselors who had praised this man as a model of wisdom and prudent conduct, and he called out, "'You are all too clever for me. You have injured me beyond limits with your cleverness.' When the advisers murmured, the king grew still, more irritated, and shouted, I shall make the simplest man the governor, for his foolishness cannot, be, cannot do harm if he is only honest and has a straightforward spirit. As he spoke thus, he recalled that the simple man whom he had sent for must already be on the way to where the governor lived, and he decided to confer this honor on precisely this man. When the simple man had ridden there with his companion of the road, all took place as the king had commanded. The simple man, however, received with great astonishment all the pomp and festivity with which he was met, and called out, Just don't jest. But soon he was convinced that the honor really was intended for him. As governor, he now con conducted himself simply and honestly, as he had at the time when he had been a poor shoemaker. And since he himself had passed his life without intrigues, he knew how to see into the heart of right and wrong, and his judgments became respected everywhere. His people and his advisors came to love him, and his fame soon penetrated to the king, who wished nothing for nothing so fervently as to have him as his side man, has at his side as a man of such strict virtue and simple understanding. Thus it came about that he appointed the simple man as his prime minister, and had a palace built for him not too far from his court. When the king's other messenger came to the clever man and delivered his information, the latter said to him, Let us, like reasonable men, not hasten unduly. Stay this night with me, so that we may consider everything well and deliberate together. At mealtime, after the clever man had discoursed penetratingly on many subjects, he came to the message of the king and spoke as follows. Who am I that a mighty king desires to see me? Does he not have enough noble vassals and profound counselors at his court that he should send for me? Now he reflected long within himself over his own words and finally cried out, 
It is impossible, you must recognize, that a king could do the like. Evil-minded men have deluded you when they bid you come to me with this message. The truth is that the king does not exist at all. Or have you perhaps received the letter that you brought me from his hand? No, replied the messenger. I must confess to you that I received it not from the king himself, but from one of his officers. Have you ever caught sight of his face, then? The clever man pursued. You seem to be a little acquainted with the customs of kings, answered the ambassador. Otherwise, you would know well that they rarely show themselves to the people, and when they do, they are so surrounded by their attendants that it is difficult to catch sight of the king. If you consider the matter rightly, the clever man then said, you will perceive how your own words prove that I am right. For if you, who administer an important office at court, have not seen the king, then who should have indeed? But who then leads the country, asked the latter. To this the clever man replied, Mark what I say to you, for I am widely traveled and highly experienced. Look, in the country of Italy, sixty noblemen rule the kingdom. They are selected by the people, and they share in the conduct of state affairs. There every worthy and meritorious citizen can attain to authority, but here the high officers and courtiers undoubtedly govern. They make the law and do what pleases them. But if the people ask, Who demands this of us? Then they answer, Why, your king, and it is up to you to obey him. Thus they command according to their wills, and the king is nothing but an empty name that they have invented in order to frighten and subdue the people. The speech began to impress the messenger, and messenger and doubt grew within him. But his learned host talked on. I could bring forward much of that nature, but wait until tomorrow. Then I hope to convince you. The next morning they arose early, and the two of them went to the marketplace. There they met a soldier, and the clever man addressed him thus. My f dear friend, tell me, whom do you serve? Now, he said, whom indeed does the soldier serve? The king, I should think. Have you served long? asked the wise man. Indeed, he said, I have fought faithfully for my lord in many battles, and I regard no calling as higher than mine to hold high the banner of the king. No doubt you know your king well, said the clever man, since you love him so. I have never seen him, replied the latter sorrowfully, although it has been my life's dearest wish. The clever man said to his companion, Is there a greater foolishness than to shed one's blood for someone who does not exist? And believe me, the whole people is laboring under such a delusion. The messenger let himself be convinced by his comrade, and when the former said to him, If you are willing to go with me into the world, then I shall reveal to you the petty minds and perverted opinions of men everywhere. He was ready at once, and... The two men departed from there. Wherever they came, they were not able to see anything other than madness and delusion. The discovery that no king could exist had become for them the maximum measure for everything, and they would say, this is just as true as that there is a king. While they wandered through the lands of all rulers and took no interest in anything save in blemishes of human spirit, they left their external circumstances of fortune so wholly unattended that soon they had bitter experience of life's need and were forced to give up their horses and all else that they had brought with them just in order to obtain a meager subsistence. Thus exposed to every misfortune of poor wanderers, they nonetheless marched indefatigably onward and gathered an ever greater store of melancholy experiences. They finally came before the palace of the minister and asked the guard to admit them, for a great wrong had been done to them. They were brought before the minister, and this man, who had once been called the simple one, recognized immediately in the wretched and exasperated wanderer the comrade of his youth. 
for the simple man and the clever man had been very good friends when they were young. But the latter did not recognize in the minister his friend, for he bore his post with great dignity. The minister made himself known, greeted his former friend with cordial mien, and asked him what he desired. The clever man related that he had been cruelly beaten for the sake of an impostor. In other words, the king, which is what led them to come to him. The minister smiled, comforted him, and requested him first to go with his companions into the bath where servants awaited him and would give them decent clothes. After that, he invited them to eat with him. At the table, the clever man, who was greatly astonished by the altered character and circumstances of his friend, asked him, My dear friend, how did you come then to this position of dignity? My lord, the king conferred it on me, replied the minister. What? said the clever man. You too are gripped by this madness and believe in a king? I tell you, there is no king. How can you suggest so monstrous a thing, cried the minister? I see the king's face daily. What makes you think, jeered the clever man, that he with whom you speak is actually the king? Were you intimate with him from childhood on? Did you know his father and grandfather and can say that they were kings? Men have told you that this is the king. They have fooled you. Then the minister said to him, So do you still continue then to live in your subtleties and not see life? You asserted once that it would, be, it would be easier for you to decline into my simplicity than for me to rise to your cleverness. No, you will never, ever receive the grace of simplicity. May all of us in this new year receive the grace of simplicity, but also not forego the cleverness of our intellect. May we balance our mind and our heart. May we balance our simplicity and our cleverness in this coming year so that we can live lives of joy and gratitude and holiness for our sake and for the sake of our community and for our world. Shana Tova from the Neshama Project podcast. This is Rabbi Ben Newman. Until next time.